This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you love underground music and movies, go to portlanddistro.com for licensed shirts, vinyl, CDs, and more. Go to portlanddistro.com. Plug in the discount code MikeHill666 for 15% off at portlanddistro.com. Brandon slumped forward on his face, pressing against the stone to hold back the waves of vertigo and growing fear. Kenlaw's body disappeared into the blackness of the tunnel. How serious was his head injury? Had he imagined that Kenlaw was dead? Or was it Kenlaw ahead of him now in this narrow passage? Brandon smothered a cackling laugh. It must not be Ken Law. Ken Law was dead after all. It was Olin Reynolds or someone else. Come to search for him. Here I am, Brandon managed to shout. I'm here. His lips tasted of blood and Brandon remembered the wetness he had pressed his face against a moment gone. It was too late to call back his outcry. New movement scurried in the tunnel from either end. Then his night vision became no blessing, for enough consciousness remained for Brandon to know that the faces that peered at him from the shaft ahead were not human faces. So welcome to Darkness Weaves. I'm back with Carl. How's it going, Carl? Good idea, Mike. And uh, this week, uh, we're going to be covering... Now, 22, it's 22 odd Swift, I think. That's how you pronounce it exactly? Yeah, I mean, I guess you could just say it's 20, 220 Swift, but yeah, I think it's 2020 odd. but, you know, yeah. like either, either right, way, so, whatever. <laughs> and I, I have my thoughts about why it's titled this and sort of that whole aspect of the story, you know, honestly. So, uh, so yeah, and once again, we're, we're digging into the In a Lonely Place, uh, Carl Edward Wagner collection. Uh, which has been recently republished by Valancourt Press. And uh, if you're a fan of horror and genre fiction and weird fiction, definitely check out the other books that they have available. So head over to Valancourt. 
Uh, but before we get going, I just want to run down all of our uh, our buddies over at the Horsemen of the Podcasting Apocalypse. Of course, we have Brandon Legion bringing you Horror Wolf 666, Jackie Smith bringing you Into the Necrosphere, and of course, this is Everything Went Black. On Thursday, I come back with um, Mike Scandato and Jeff Cashid for Necromaniacs. Friday, we have Break the Apocalypse. Saturday is a day off. And then Sunday, Carl brings you Soul Knox. And uh, I'd also like to um, welcome Cheyenne from Trivax with uh, Iblis Manifestations. And um, that's a, a welcome entry into the Horseman. So that's that's a pretty full week of media programming for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Cheyenne was kind of on the outskirts, and then now he's a fully-blooded uh, horseman, I guess you could say. <laughs> Jump but, him in, you know. <laughs> blood, in, blood in, blood out. <laughs> the uh, yeah, the um, let's see. We only have like uh, I think three more stories in the only place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Three, oh, no, two more. We have two more. Yeah, we're we're definitely making good headway through this, man. It's been it's been a really cool like journey going through this old material, and uh, you know, Wagner's one of those guys who um. I, you know, surprisingly, as someone who's been out in the fringes of uh, of dark fantasy, weird fiction, and horror, even though he's probably, I, mean, I, I think, one of the better of the writers, man. You know, he's just been out there languishing in obscurity. So we're hoping to at least make people aware of this guy's great work. Yeah, I guess appropriately, we'll be finishing in a lonely place um, in October. So it'll be the episode on everything on black in October, and then then we'll be moving over to. Uh, the cane afterwards i guess so oh yeah that's gonna be a good 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 so, transition so yeah so uh real real quick about this story it was first published in uh, new terrors volume one uh which was edited by ramsey campbell and uh back in 1980 and um there was a two volume set the u.s version of it has been collected into one volume so i think you could still find that on uh, amazon these days there might be a couple of copies floating around and um then it also appeared in Mammoth Book of Monsters, edited by Stephen Jones, and then in the original publication of In a Lonely Place, which uh, came out back in the 80s. And, um, and of course, you can pick that up, as I mentioned earlier, in the Valancourt edition, which I urge everyone to go out there and buy and read and enjoy. And maybe uh, more, more, more Carl Edward Wagner stories will be published. So hopefully, you know, we get this thing rolling with people. Definitely. And yeah, I'm going to read a little quote from from um, from Wagner about the, the story he has at the, in the afterward here. And it says, um, in the summer of 1969, I lived in a cabin in Haywood County, North Carolina, while working in a medical clinic there. The cabin and mountain settings are those in which I was living during this time. The legends of the lost minds of the ancients, as des described in um, 22 Ot Swift, are not pseudo-history, as one critic suggested, but are historical fact or mystery. Manly Wade Wellman, a noted writer and scholar of Southern history and folklore, kindly gave me the use of, my, of his own research material regarding this archaeological mystery, and over the years I was able to include some research of my own. The books and sources referred to in this regard are all, all actual materials, as are the legends and Indian myths. As Wellman has for many years demonstrated in his own writing, History and folklore often propose mysteries far greater than any writer's imagination can provide. So, 
gives you a little taste of what the story is about. <laughs> yeah, Wellman and and uh, yeah, it's Wagner and and uh, and Wellman were were uh, pen pals apparently. Yeah. Yeah, he was very uh, and he yeah Wagner, you know, alongside with what he did for Robert E. Howard in the '80s, he also did the same thing with Wellman, and was got a lot of Wellman stuff published in the '80s and. Uh, a lot of his stuff's like uh, very inspired by Wellman. Get into uh, just some of the main characters here. Uh, the main character is quote unquote quote Eric Brandon, because <laughs> that's we'll find <laughs> out it's not his true identity. Yeah, and uh, Doctor Morris Kenlaw, who is allegedly an archaeologist looking for the minds of the ancients. Okay, and uh, Brandon is. Um, a guy living out in the woods. He has a uh, he rented a cabin from uh, Del Warner, which is another one of the um, these characters here, a farmer, local farmer in the area. And uh, allegedly, Brandon is working on his thesis on uh, you know local folklore and legends and local mythologies and things like that. So that also speaks to what that piece that you read that Wagner wrote about um, you know folklore and history. Uh, sort of going hand in hand, even though they might initially seem to be at odds with each other, you know. Um, we have uh, Dan the dog, <laughs> which is uh, also play actually plays a pretty key role in this whole thing. Uh, Ginger Warner, which is Del Warner's, uh, it's his daughter, I believe. Uh, I think it's Del's sister. Del's sister, sorry about that. And, yeah. um, and, uh, and that's, uh, we learn, is uh, Eric Brand, quote unquote, Eric Brandon's uh, love interest in this. And of course we have, um, couple of side characters we had uh olin reynolds is this kind of he's the grandfather of the I, th I think he's isn't he the grandfather of um ginger and uh yeah and del yeah he's a good old boy you know roused about sort of guy you know it's probably uh you know had experience making moonshine like that sort of guy you know what i mean well like, so it says in the writing it says that he used to make he used to make the best moonshine and then he got sent to Atlanta, like prison and then he did some time, you know, did some time. Yeah. Yeah. One of these guys. <laughs> yeah. So, um, we, we, we open up the story where, uh, Dell is, um, he's showing Ken law a hole in his property, a hole in the ground, which is allegedly an entrance into the mind of the ancients. And, um, Ken law is a guy from New York, uh, very much, uh, the stereotypical New Yorker that a lot of the Southern people probably view tri-state area people as like, you know, very pushy, uh, loud, obnoxious. He's the way they describe him in the opening paragraphs is um, very porcine. You know, he has this kind of like pig rat animalistic like quality about him, the way, the way that they describe him, you know, so he's this kind of unsavory guy, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, Although in my experience, I mean, I, mean, I haven't spent a huge amount of time in nor in the, in that area, but I mean, it's definitely like a stereotype. Like, there's not 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 a lot of people in the Northeast that I've met are actually like this kind of guy. You know what I mean? No, definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, he's like he's like that kind of like stereotype of like, yeah, like, and uh, very very kind of annoying and like aggravating type of person in a lot of ways. So his um. The ruse that he's playing with these people is that he's uh he's there for archaeological purposes. Like he wants to uh you know find out about the you know the archaeology behind uh you know the historical facts of 
you know, the, these minds of the ancients. And we there we get we we get into a little bit more of this debate when, when he, he and Brandon get into this uh, discussion about what the origins of the minds are. Um, so we we meet Eric Brandon, who's hunting in the area, and he shows up, and he just uh, you know sort of we, he gets introduced to us as a character. Yeah. And his uh, two twenty two 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 twenty two odds um swift rifle. They always they mention that he's out there with that rifle and he's doing just game shooting. Yeah. And um, I, I I don't know much about weapons like that, so uh, I'm not going to pretend to know what any of this stuff is honestly. So twenty two odds swift because I was actually kind of like I kind of had an idea what it was, but I was I was looking into it. It's um a very high powered rifle, but it's not very um. Um, it's not like the biggest bullet necessarily, but it's very high power. So, so if you think about, um, a, a, a 22 bullet or is, is like, um, a pretty small one, you know, they use a lot of hitmen use that, which comes up later. 22 Hotsmith is like basically a 22 bullet onto like a huge, heavy grain shell essentially. And, um, yeah, they use it for, like it says in the story, like, um, the bullet's so small that that the with so much power behind it that it basically can sometimes like disintegrate on contact basically. So it's very uh, yeah. It's a it's kind of like a, it's kind of a it's not a common rifle, but it's something that's been in use since like oh for a long time I think. But yeah, that's part of the re. But but it's one that that hitman will sometimes use. So that that's why it comes up later. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a lot of experience with guns? I'm not a gun guy. I don't really know much about guns. I have some some experience with guns. I've known I've known I have friends who are like gun nuts, so I've gone shooting and learned some stuff. I don't know like everything. Like sometimes like my friends who I know who are like really into guns will talk about stuff, and I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. But yeah, I mean I've shot guns a bunch of times and stuff, so I have like a I have a, an an amount of of um, experience with them. So yeah. So um, the, one of the one of the notable things that comes up is um, we find out about uh, Deld's father uh, was uh, mutilated by a bear, uh, so we believe. Um, we get some news about a kingpin in New York City being assassinated, which I thought was an interesting thing to drop in here, as because we, we learned some some stuff later on about assassinations and hitmen and things like that. Yeah, this story yeah. the story actually like the first time I read it. I didn't quite understand everything. And the second time I read it, I was like, Oh, okay. Like there's a lot, there's a lot hidden in the first part of the story that makes a lot more sense. If you reread it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Same, same deal. Like I've read this a couple of times. Um, the interesting thing that comes up though, and that's, this happens later at, at, at uh, you know, later on after this opening scene is where Ken law and Brandon are debating over who, actually create who made the, who the ancients were that made these minds that both of these guys seem to be or all kenwa specifically seems to be looking for you know like i mentioned earlier he shows up in the region under the guise of a scientist you know historian archaeology kind of guy you know trying to find out about the history of this thing and, and he believes that the um you know the spanish uh you know possibly enslaving the, the cherokee the local the local Native American population dug these mines themselves. And that's what he believes, you know, this historically, you know, like based in historical quote unquote fact. 
Brandon, on the other hand, he believes that uh, the mines are actually much older than that, and that there's uh, le- legends by the Cherokee of uh, of little people, um, you know, having made these mines and how. When the Cherokee had come down from wherever they were prior to inhabiting that area, that the mines were actually existing and that their function were not mines at all, but something altogether different than that. Yeah. I think that all this stuff's really fascinating. Like, um, do you ever see that documentary Hellier? That's no. that TV series. I'll have to send it to you. It's yeah. It's um it's it's free on YouTube. It's um I forget their names, uh the Kirk um Kirk something rather I forget their their name it's a couple and they're they're like paranormal investigator people um that kind of try to explore like the, the weird like a lot of like super weird stuff and um um they did a whole show this hellier show is about hellier I think it's um I think it's like Tennessee or somewhere in that Kentucky West Virginia okay. it's in that area I can't remember which which one um and uh basically it's about like Oh, it kind of ties into a lot of these legends about these little people and stuff living in these because because that whole area the entire Appalachians are completely just covered in caves um if you can if you look at a map of like cave systems like the Appalachians are like throughout the whole area through North Carolina like all those areas are just the whole the ground is like covered in just caves and all these types of there's like more cave systems there than anybody's ever been able to you know map out or whatever right and um yeah. There's a lot of stories in that whole area about these like little people or things that, that come out of the caves basically. And um the Hellier show is all about like I think it's the Kentucky is I think it's Kentucky or it's like the Kentucky Goblin or something they call them, like right on that area. So it but it has a lot of reference relevance to what the story talks about and all these myth stories about that, yeah. Yeah, I mean that that's actually that's a as we we'll get into later, that's like a huge recurring theme in a lot of different stories and whatnot, a lot of different aut- the authors that you and I both are into have their, everyone has their own take on these little people, you know, that live underground and, you know, legends about them predating, you know, they go, we'll, we'll get into that later. Cause there's a huge reveal at the end of the story, which is interesting. And I find the ending, the ending to be the most compelling part of the, of this whole, this whole caper here, you know, cause there's a couple of, there's a couple of things that, even though I love this story, there's a couple of things that distract me from really being for being one of my favorite stories in this book. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. a couple yeah. things, very very minor things, but the overall the overall vibe of this story is is awesome because it covers a lot of this like stuff that we're going to be getting into. Yeah, yeah, I definitely. I'll have to send you the hell here. Yeah, I can. I can recommend anybody listening to check it out. It's on YouTube. There's two seasons of it, and um, it's really cool. Like. Uh, paranormal show because it's getting this some some weird stuff and they kind of start making some some stuff with like ufos and stuff as well like aliens but uh but they kind of use that they kind of show like the range of possibilities that these types of things could be but it's pretty interesting the um and then of course in north north carolina like out by where yeah like in out by Asheville area they have like i think it's brown mountain or whatever it has like the brown mountain lights and they have all these like stories of like the little people there and i mean even here in colorado there's like where the mi- miners and stuff in the mountains they talk about the tommy knockers like like you know like um these like little people who are like inhabit the mines and everything like this seems to be very just such a common story across the entire world is crazy you know 
Yeah, and, and, lead, and what makes you think, like, wondering, like, if, you know, there were... Well, it wasn't there factually, like, didn't someone discover, like, a, a miniature human skeleton at one point? Well, I think that actually, uh, doesn't Eric Brandon bring that up in the story where he talks about how um, there was, um, like, a race of, of pygmy people that that were even smaller than, say, the pygmies in Africa that they actually found, like, a whole graveyard's worth of or something? I think that's true, yeah. Yeah, I was wondering if that was true or not, because I, I do remember reading somewhere that they found these, like, tiny skeletons of humans that were small, you know, very tiny. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've just, I've heard, I'd have to look into it and see if it's actually for real, but that'd be fascinating. I mean, I, would, I could believe it. I mean, we don't, we don't know. <laughs> like I said, like, those, those caves down there, a creep, really creepy um, thing that I've seen, which is relevant to something that happens later in a story, is that, um, if you look at like the, the map of the caves I mentioned before across the states, and then you look at a map of missing persons, they directly overline with each other. So there's more missing people in the areas where the caves are than there are in other parts of the country. Oh, wow. That's yeah. very interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's real, it's real creepy. So it's like, how many people go missing in these fucking caves? And why are they going missing? You know what I mean? It's crazy. Yeah, they also mentioned mentioned the uh, the Shinokins tribe too, which uh, Wellman, Manly Wade Wellman, mentions in his stories. And um, now that's, I, I read up about that a little bit, and that Wellman presented the Shinokins as like a, a, a completely fictitious tribe, but it turns out that it actually they actually might have actually been a real a real tribe, the Shinokins. Oh, really? Yeah. That's crazy. I can't confirm or, you know, or disprove that to be true or not, but there's been people have contact, you know, have been joined, joined this discussion about uh, the Shinokins that, oh yeah, there actually were a real tribe called the Shinokins. Yeah. This story also kind of ties into certain things that were mentioned in sticks as well with like the, you know, standing stones and stuff is that stuff's mentioned as well in the story, but it's kind of like, you're like, you get the feeling that this is set in the same world as sticks right but it's like a different strata i guess of things going on you know what i mean yeah right well let's see where we want to pick up this talk here um the one one difference between this story and say robert howard's stories like this is that or even um uh mocking you know is that those types of those ones kind of like particularly howard like his little people tend to be like reptilian, like half human, half reptilian, like type of beings. You know what I mean? Right. Where this time they they they're not really seen as being reptilian in this this story. They're like something else. They kind of also remind me of um you you know in um Game of Thrones, you know like the the children or whatever yeah. they're called up up and beyond the wall. Yep. They kind of remind me of the, that as well in the story. Yeah, I mean these um. The one thing we, we learn about them is that they, they're covered in white hair, too. You know, so in my, in my, my reckoning of them is that they're sort of uh, like maybe like a lower primate, possibly, you know? Yeah, but they have like enough like – you get the sense that – and we'll get this into this more when we get further, but they, they were probably more evolved later on, and they kind of have de-evolved over the years as they kind of fled, you know? Yeah. Oh, so let, let's talk real quick about uh, Brandon, like a little bit more about him, because it turns out he's he's a albino. Yeah. 
He's unusually strong. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They mentioned that he like picked up his his truck like or something to get it unstuck or something like that. Yeah. And I, they also mentioned that he is an unusually good marksman too. Yeah. Yeah. Now we can talk about that later, but the, that that whole aspect of him is to me seems completely unnecessary. And you know, when, once we once we get to that reveal, it, it almost adds like another strand within this story that's totally unnecessary. You know what I mean? The mark the marksman side of it. Well, I don't know if you're going to agree with me or not on this, but what 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 his actual what, what it turns out that he actually does, I think, is kind of like. Uh, we're jump, jumping the gun a little bit on that. Yeah, we'll get into it. Because yeah, I, I think I kind of agree with you on certain things. But, you know, like, they do kind of give the little hint of that he's not quite the same as everyone else, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. But that part I can I'm down, I'm, I can get behind. But the other side of it I find kind of strange. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um. So we're at the, yeah, we're, we're with Reynolds, uh, Ginger, Brandon, and Kenlaw. And they're hanging out. And then... Brandon, uh, um, Kenlaw discovers that there's a, a conquistador helmet or a Morian, okay, for, which is like, you know, the term for what you, the typical conquistador uh, looking helmet, you know, part of their armor. Yeah. And it's, like, it's an unusually good condition. And he's commenting on it. He's like, oh, you know, where'd you find this? You know, this is like a, uh, it's not completely decrepit and ruined. You know, I want to know, I want, I want you to take me to where you found this thing. Yeah, and then they um, figure out that it was, um, I would say, the grandfather, Olin, or whatever his name is, uh, he he says that, oh, their dad found it. Uh, we were up in, they were up in like a, uh, basically a cave that this other family called the Brennans, right? It's Brennan? Yeah, the Brennans, yeah. The Brennans, which, which is a name that you need to remember. Which, you need to remember that, Brennan. Yeah, yeah, yeah and... Um, which I did not the first time I read the story. I didn't, yeah. But um, that the uh, the Brennans are running a still a still out of there, are making moonshine out of this cave up in the hills. And um, and one day their dad went back, I guess, and, and found found this stuff, and it's just been kind of kicking around. And um, so then, yeah, Crenshaw is like, you got to take me up there, like you know, like I need to see where where this is and all that stuff. So that's. It kind of sets up that the next day they're going to all go up there and Owen's going to show them where the cave was. Now, a quick aside about the Brennans. Okay, so, you know, as, as Carl, as Carl mentioned, they're, um, you know, moonshiners, you know, kind of like these, like, down-home, you know, hillbilly types. But they had a daughter named Lori, okay? And, uh, you know, she bore a child, which they assumed was, like, just some kind of, like, inbreeding, you know, scenario you know because everyone was afraid of her and this sort of stuff so they gotta remember that that's a key part of this whole thing brennan laurie brennan begotten child like that sort of stuff yeah and uh and yeah that she was like kind of crazy and scary to a lot of people so yeah 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 and that and that they all left like some of the brennans died and the rest of them like at some point went north that's what that's all they know so yeah Ain't nobody seen them for like twenty years or something like that. <laughs> I also get the you get the sense that they were like kind of run out of town a little bit. You know what I mean? Like some of the townsfolk might have ran them ran them off. You know? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, they're not around no more. Yeah. And so yeah, then they're sitting. 
uh, they have dinner and Crenshaw goes and this whole part like is is funny where they're, he's like um, Brandon's out with um, with Ginger and they're having like some romantic time there right he kisses her and all this stuff and then the dog comes up dog Dan comes up and they like all it says is that he has like a child's arm in his mouth or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I think doesn't this that section end where they're talking about how he's he's coming up with a child's arm. So it kinda of, kinda of leaves you in this um leaves you hanging somewhat, you know, that there's like, you know, oh, there's a, a human arm that's rolling up there with the uh with the dog. Yeah. But, uh, so the, the next section of the of the story begins, and it turns out that it's actually not a human arm because it's covered in white hair and it's pink. Okay, the flesh is pink, but it's like white hair on it. So naturally, they assume it's just like uh, you know a tourist with their gorilla. You know, they brought a <laughs> white gorilla with them on their vacation. You know, <laughs> I thought yeah, that apparently. was that was funny. That was like a very funny like aside like uh oh yeah obviously it's a gorilla arm that a tourist brought with them <laughs> yeah you're like uh, okay <laughs> that just seems like they're just trying to rationalize it away you know what i mean like this is not a normal i mean i've never seen a i've never seen a a, a monkey like look like that i mean i guess the the way it described right but <laughs> yeah like a white monkey <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess, I guess, I guess somebody could have had that, but it seems kind of far fetched. But you know, that's the that's the excuse they make, right? <laughs> now, in this in this scene with uh, Ginger and Brandon, we also learn a little bit more about Brandon's backstory. You know that he, uh, you know, living there on, allegedly living on a grant from the college to do his studies. Um, originally, he claims to be from New York, from a foster home. You know, he's an orphan, and. Uh, you know, we talk about sort of the the difference between uh, Brandon and uh, Ken Law. Like Ken Law's, you know, he's up there looking for riches, where Brandon genuinely seems to be interested in the story of the people, of the ancients themselves. You know, he's 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 uh, consumed with finding out more information about you know the local mythologies and things like that. He's not he's not a materialist like the way that Ken Law Crenshaw Ken Law is. Yeah, whatever his name is. I keep saying the wrong name too. Yeah, Ken Ken Law. Ken Law, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. Brandon seems to be very like fascinated by all the the he has this kind of inner drive to learn more and more about <clears throat> about all these stories and stuff from this area. And he also kind of mentions that he feels kind of at home in this area too. Yeah. Yeah. I think Ginger even mentions too that you seem like you're from here. Where, you know, once again, they disparage Ken Law's, uh, you know, New York State, New Yorker, like, you know, vibe. <laughs> obviously, he, does, he obviously Ken Law's not from around here. And though you guys are from the same city, you seem more at home here than he does. Like, that's like a big point that they make. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny, like, I mean, I, want, I bet there are people in the South who feel like that, though, about, like... You know, Northeasters, I'm not sure. I know my friend, my friend was from New York, grew up in New York and had to go down to North Carolina. And he says, people are, people are, things are a lot slower there than they are in, in, in New York. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I do know for a fact that, um, you know, this is going back a number of years. I was uh, in Richmond, Virginia, visiting my friend Dave, Dave Witte. And uh, it was when he, you know, Dave originally is from New Jersey. So, uh, he just moved down to Richmond is right when he started playing in municipal waste. And, uh, I was down there hanging out with him and we went out to eat and, um, 
you know, Richmond's like a pretty cool town. And I remember he went to the bathroom and I was waiting for him. And there were these two people sitting behind me and they're referring to people from the North as Yankees. <laughs> and I was like, damn, I thought that that went out in the civil war, you know? Yeah. No, apparently not. I, I remember a few times I've been down South, like, um, go to like waffle house or something right and like, oh, yeah. I like i like to put um i like to put ketchup on my eggs and every time i do that when i was in the south they'd all be like are you from the north and they know like I'm like no i'm from colorado They're like oh you're okay then i'm just like oh no, you're okay, okay then. then yeah all right as long as you're not from but, like you know new york or new jersey or connecticut or something like that yeah so apparently they still feel that way down south because yeah I, I got that a few times when i was in <laughs> they don't put ketchup on their eggs down there Apparently not. Apparently they don't believe in it in the South. They don't believe in it, huh? Okay. I guess not. I don't know. <laughs> that's that's just from my experience, like going to fucking Waffle Houses. <laughs> so Reynolds, Olin Reynolds uh, agrees to take Kenlon Brandon to this uh, moonshine cave where they found this uh, conquistador helmet. And um, as they're driving by the what used to be the Reynolds property, um, Brandon gets this like, you know, feeling you know, a feeling of like maybe recognition or some sort of, uh, you know, vibe for lack of a better term. Yeah. He feels like something, um, some kind of connection to, to where they're driving up and, um, yeah. And it, you know, he describes like the driving up in the truck and like, uh, um, yeah, it sounds like it's like some old ass truck It's only got two, two springs on it or something like that <laughs> yeah yeah it's like real 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 rustic you know but it's, but it's got all-wheel drive so it's just like driving right up like and then they say that there, there's a road and then it turns into a dirt road and then it just turns into basically like a, you know you know not even really a road it's just kind of like a path that people have kind of kept open somewhat you know yeah so they come upon this cave and uh Ken Law wants to go in there by himself. He doesn't want to have anyone, you know, to go in there with him to help him, you know, and, you know, we're starting to get a feel that, uh, you know, maybe Ken Law isn't, isn't all he is putting himself out there to be, you know, so they go into the cave and they find, um, they discover some bones and, uh, and a pile of rocks, you know, and a carn and this kind of stuff and some conquistador armor. But the interesting thing about the bones is that they're all broken open. Okay. They're busted open like something was trying to eat the marrow within the bones yeah you know? yeah and, that, and, uh, and that's after so they go through the top part of the cave and it's like all the old sills and everything from like when it was operation and a bunch of trash and stuff went to back and whatnot and they they get to the back and there's like a fucking drop off and that's they and then they go down the side of there's like a little path like kind of down the side of this drop off and that's when they find that karen with the conquistador and I have, um, so this part of the story, like, I have real bad claustrophobia, so I was starting to get pretty, like, like this yeah. part of the story, like, because I make me feel kind of anxious, particularly as it goes on. The openings get smaller and smaller, and we note the dimension of 14 inches wide, okay? That's, like, a number that comes up, 14 inches, you know, as uh, being the dimension to get through some of these holds, all right? Now, we mentioned earlier that Ken Law is kind of, uh, you know, a robust sort of guy you know he's not necessarily fit you know he's kind of strong but he's probably a couple pounds overweight you know what i'm trying to get at yeah yeah it's, it's, what they find is that there's like behind this this 
rock pile with the conquistador skeleton in it, there's like another hole. And it's pretty small, but it's just big enough that, you know, basically like it describes that that kind of goes through and it's basically like, you know, about as round as he is. So he's like has to squeeze through this hole in the side of the road side of the cave that they're in. And he tells Brandon to wait. And so he, um, Brandon's like waiting for him. And Kenla is like going through and he's like taking rock. He's like picking at the walls and taking rocks, samples and stuff like that. And after a while, he doesn't, he doesn't come back. I, I just wanted, the first time I read this, I was getting kind of nervous. Like, okay, what's going to happen? Like, you kind of had this feeling something's going to happen, right? And um, finally, Brandon goes through the hole as well finds himself in another hole, another cave about the same size as the one that he was just in. And Krenla is not in there. But Brandon tries this thing where he turns off his light and his eyes adjust like supernaturally almost to the, like he has like infravision basically. So he can actually see a lighter patch through the wall, through the hole on the other side where he can figure out that, okay, Krenla is over here. And he finds another even smaller hole that he goes through. And on that side of the hole, Krenla's over there, like, you know, taking samples and stuff. Doesn't realize that Brandon's there behind him at first. And then this is like kind of the reveal is that it's obviously a mine. It's obviously been been mined and everything. And Brandon kind of brings that up like, hey, look, like, congratulations. You found the last thing, mines of the ancients. And Krenla is like, nah, this is a, this is natural. It's perfectly natural. You know what I mean? Like this is like soft stone and all this stuff. And and Brandon's like, uh, Eric Brandon's like, but no, that's like uh, that's quartz. What are you talking about? And then he sees that there's gold all across the whole wall. And at this time, Krenla shows his true nature and whacks him in the head with the fucking the 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 pick the you know rock pick basically. Knocks yeah. Him out. Yeah, his little archaeologist tool that he has. Yeah. Yeah. So he you know, we that that's the end of that section of the story. And then it opens up where he's about to uh deliver the killing blow, but he decides not to do it because he sees that uh Brandon's skull is like, you know, he can you can see his skull through the wound that he has. And he's thinking, like, oh, I'm just gonna try to make this look like an accident. You know. Now keep in mind that Reynolds is still topside, you know, so there is a you know, that third guy is still there. Yeah. So um yeah, so he's like his whole his whole scheme is to like get all the land rights around around this this cave, and then just you know here here you are we could basically have a gold mine. So that that has been his goal all along is to you know find this place and you know capitalize on the resources that are there. Exactly. Yeah, and he doesn't want anybody to know about it at all. Um, and. Um... That's that's what basically is happening is that Brandon found it, saw what was going on, and then yeah, he, he wants to make it look like an accident, so he's gonna try to basically drag Brandon's body through those those two holes in the wall, right, and somehow drag him all the way up to the top and then push him over the the yeah. cave at the top to make it look like an accident, supposedly, and um, so he ties Brandon to him, and then he tries to like squeeze through that that first first hole and this is where my claustrophobia really started kicking in because it was like he like tries to climb through but he didn't think about the fact that he took all these rock samples and so now he's like you know he could barely get through in the first place and now he's like inches thicker yeah 
and he get and he tries to get forward. He can't move anymore. He tries to go backward, and his coat comes up and gets stuck. And now he's completely stuck. He can't go forward or backward. And and then right at that moment, his flashlight starts going out because he forgot to change the batteries on it. And this is like real creepy, really creepy section. I was just like, oh god, he's like stuck. He's like trying not to panic, and then. As the light's fading, he realizes that there's all these eyes in front of him, like on the other side of the thing. <laughs> and it's like, and then he started to panic, and that was the end of that chapter. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty awesome. You know, good way to end that section. Uh, you know, also, um, one of the things, you know, to keep in mind that those bones were broken open to like suck the marrow out. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, if, I think Brandon even makes a, a statement earlier. He's like, he's like, uh, do you think an animal did this? And, and Ken Law's like, yeah, what else would have done this, you know, besides an animal, you know what I mean? So there's yeah. this, like, uh, you know, sort of, you're led to believe that these creatures also eat human flesh, you know what I mean? So, uh, you know, that adds another element to this whole thing. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and then in the next chapter starts off with Brandon kind of regaining consciousness, and he's in the dark. And the way that Wagner, like, kind of... Um, describes a state where he's, you know, he's gotten a hit on his head. He doesn't quite, he has, he kind of remembers what happened, but he doesn't know where he is, why he is where he is. Like, you know, the way he describes this whole situation, like it's pretty spot on, you know, if you've ever had like a, a head injury or something like that, it's like he comes out of it and, and he like, he's in the dark. He can't really see anything. You can kind of see like, when something's he can see something right in front of him basically like he has actually some night vision and even in this pure black but he can't really see like very far and um he realizes that his legs are still tied are tied up for some reason yeah yeah because that happened after he's knocked out like kind of tied his legs to drag it through he pulls on the rope and realizes the rope's going to the wall and he realizes going through the wall and he finds the hole in it he starts going through the hole and he finds Cranola's boots. And he tries to like, and it feels like all this wetness and stickiness. And he tries to grab the body, but or, you know the the Cranola, and and it starts moving. And he pulls him, ends up pulling him out of the out of the the hole. And then he starts feeling up like the um, to the face, and realizes that there's no eyes and that there's no skin on the face anymore. Yeah, that's no, pretty awesome. Yeah, it's so creepy. <laughs> Can you imagine like you can't see anything? You're just feeling, and you like feel like eyes, empty eye sockets, or something like that. It's so disgusting. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty pretty awesome. You know. <laughs> so this is also when um, this is when he starts encountering like what we find out to be the the uh, the denizens of this underground world. Um. Well, I think one thing that's creepy is he pulls him out of the hole. He tries to go through the hole and go across. And when he gets across to the other side, to the other hole that he thinks will be on the other side will be the exit. He finds the body, like something drug it in front of him, basically, right? Which I thought that was creepy. And that's when he, I think that's when he sees the, the things that the first time, right? Yeah, it's, that's when, you know, because he can see in the dark with his, you know, because we're starting to realize that he has these abilities that other other humans don't have. And that's where he's able to see these other people, you know, the, the dwellers in this uh, subterranean world. Yeah. And then uh, 
it, it jumps from him to the Olin guy after that. And so we don't quite know what happened to Brandon. We just know that he's in this place and he sees the figures around him, right? Yeah. And it cuts away to Olin Reynolds trying to, he tries to go in, he kind of shines the light down at the hole and he can see the body at the bottom. Like, like the bot somehow, somehow Ken, Ken Ken's body got moved, whatever his name is, got moved back out to the main hole out there. So he goes to gets help and they come and they check it out and, and, um, basically like, um, they, they, they only find that one body that Brandon's missing now. Like, yeah, Brand, Brandon's completely disappeared. They open up an investigation, uh, you know, because obviously there was a, you know, a, a, a um, death. Obviously, it looks like some, either an accident or murder or something. So, the, uh, you know, they, they start uh, investigating this whole thing. Now, this is when we start uncovering more of the truth about Brandon because, uh, you know, they can't find him. So, they're trying to find his next of kin. There's no next of kin. Uh, they contact his landlord down in New York and the landlord doesn't know anything about him. All he knows is that his rent shows up on time and they inquire at the university and no one knows who Brandon is. <laughs> yeah. He's, he doesn't, he doesn't have a grant. He doesn't have, he doesn't go to this university. Like, yeah, all that was like a lie, I guess. And yeah. And you know, they try to do some digging and, um, uh, they go through all of his stuff at his house and um, in an Atasha case, they find a a weapon that is like a twenty twenty two like um, like little mini like a gun that has a silencer on it, which which is a gun that a lot of hitmen use. And so they start thinking that maybe he's like this hitman that they've been searching for for a while now. Um, they do some more digging into him, and they figure finally find some like juvenile delinquent like like they finally find like that. Somehow they managed to get hold of his like prints from like some juvenile like crime that he was involved with, and they figure out that he was—I forget what his first name was—but he was originally Ricky. A Ricky Brennan. Yeah. So that that name comes back. Turns out, like, Brennan. yeah. Turns out his mother went up north and then died, and then he ended up like going into like foster homes essentially. So he is actually from that area, right? <laughs> yeah. So there's there's like the the first level there is uh is the first circles closed on who he is. So his name is actually Ricky Brennan, not not Eric Brandon. And uh, you know we got the twenty twenty two odd Swift, you know, three hundred yard headshots, like all that, you know. So the FBI are also involved in this thing. They're looking they're looking for uh you know for Ricky Brennan. Now we know what his real name is. So then we we discover that we're gonna, I'm going to go with Brandon. I'm going to call him Brandon. I think. That, yes. I think they refer to him as Brandon in the rest of the story. So we learn that he's still alive. Okay. And then this is the, my favorite part of, this, of the whole story. Yeah. This last that, chapter. This last chapter where it's this uh, dreamlike. He goes back in time in his dreams and he sees visions of ancient America, uh, tribes of people who migrated to this area. Um, you know, they, they lived in peace with, until the Spanish, he's like little people who basically, you know, lived in peace. They inhabited that area. Um, the Spanish showed up, enslaved them to make these mines, to create these mines. Uh, they actually overthrew the, overthrew the Spanish and pushed them out, out of the caves until the settlers came to this area, you know, the Euro other European settlers, and they descended into the caves. 
yeah. at that point they would only come out at night then it was only come out at night with clouds it would steal babies you know that sort of thing and you know, then, that, and then then it mentioned something about a vision of a a woman who's willingly willingly giving herself to them, like making love yes. to like the creatures. So their pers- perverse desires or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So that ties back to uh, Lori Brennan, you know, the woman who gave herself willingly to these creatures. And then we learn through this that Brandon is some kind of a uh, little people human hybrid. Hence his strength, his night vision, his um, uncanny uh, connection to that land. You know, I would I would say that's part of it as well. Yeah, his uh, kind of albino, because because uh, they're also like kind of albino creatures now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and also, um, and this kind of goes into some of the Robert E. Howard uh, stuff, where um, you know, Robert E. Howard's always big on like groups of people degrading somehow over time. You know, like uh, yeah. Like in the Bram McMorrin stories, they talk about the Picts, you know, degrading as time went on and, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, or even, uh, yeah, it's like Howard goes with that a lot, or Lovecraft, like in something like The Working Fear, where you have the Martinez family who, like, did generate into, like, these, like, underground, like, cannibalistic beings, you know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and so this the, follows it, suit along that, along that sort of, like, concept. You know, yeah, particularly like the Howard type of concept because these people, this this race of beings, you know, um, essentially like probably at one point. I mean, the the Native Americans who came to the land like like um, actually admired them and went to them for like knowledge and stuff. Like they these these they probably were much higher evolved at one point, and they kind of like kind of have degenerated over time right as they particularly as they've kind of only been underground for for so long you know what i mean so there's definitely that degeneration of something that was a higher you get a sense in his memories that they were a higher state of being at one point in time and and that brandon i guess kind of becomes like their king we find out right you know yeah yeah he becomes like you know this, this sort of leader for them um and then uh you know he's reunited with ginger at at the end where um you know she's uh feeling restless one night she goes out for a walk and she runs into uh brandon except now he's like he's got this cool like amulet around his neck he's like shredded you know (laughs) all muscular beard long hair you know just kind of like this uh you know super like metal looking dude you know what i mean and um at this point um he he says this really cool stuff to her about her being his like Persephone, at the very I think that's like the last statement in the book. Yeah, it and, is, uh, yeah. So that you know, he he also well she she tries to persuade him because he says the FBI is looking for looking for him. Though you know, come back to the surface and give yourself up, turn yourself in. You know, maybe like they'll be lenient with you or whatever. And he like scoffs at that idea, and he's like, you know, why would I gotta be enslaved on the surface when I could be like ruler of hell, you know? Yeah. And, and then he calls, you know, he wants her to accompany him under the ground, and uh, be his uh, Persephone. Exactly. You know? Yeah. I love this and, quote. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I love this quote that he says in that part. He says, 
There's gold down there, more gold than the conquistador has ever dreamed, and hordes of every precious stone these mountains hold. But there's far greater treasure than any of this. There's a lost civilization buried down below, its ruins guarded by entities that transcend any apocalyptic vision of hell's demons. It's been ages since any of my people have dared enter the hidden strongholds, but I've dared enter there, and I've returned. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, so... It's very epic. <laughs> yeah, it's totally epic. It sounds like it'd be the, the first... This would be like the opening to like a whole series of like awesome stories, like like Pellucidor or something like that. You know, like a series of books that would chronicle his adventures underground. You know, it's this whole pulp, you know, sort of awesome weird tales kind of thing. It definitely feels. This feels like it. It really does feel like. When I got to the end of this, I was like, this really feels like the setup story for like a new car- new hero, like like how Kane was or something. Like this would be a really. It'd be really cool if somebody actually did that and took this character and, and ran with it and made like, you know, a bunch of stories kind of like how Wagner did for Conan and Brian McMoran and stuff. Like somebody should like totally take this character and, you know, write a series of adventures for him down in the underworld. You know what I mean? Yeah. And even like the hollow earth kind of like underworld, uh, you know, trope is like a huge one in weird fiction too. There's been a lot of entries into that, you know, like, you know, Edgar Rice Burroughs and, you know, a bunch of people have written about characters that have adventures inside the earth. Yeah. I like, I really like the Edgar Rice Burroughs one, the Pusadar stuff. Like, like I have a bunch of those. I have like a bunch of the really old, like, I think I showed you pictures one time of yeah. like the old fifties copies from the fifties or whatever I have. Like I love that stuff. Yeah. I just have like the collection. Like there's like an omnibus that has all the stories in it. Yeah, that's what I need to get to read. Actually, read them because yeah. I, I don't want to mess up the old paperbacks anymore. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm the same way with my old paperbacks. Like I have those Kane, um, not like the paperbacks from the '80s with the Frazetta covers, but I like never want to look inside of them because I don't. I, I don't want them to disintegrate. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I really feel like this character could be a really cool like character like that though, like the king of like these ancient people and I'm trying to kind of like bring them back to like their lost civilization or whatever. You know what I mean? Well, he even states that he says that even though they've sunk, they've fallen like so far, you know, that he believes that he can bring them back to, you know, restore them to glory essentially. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, which kind of reminds me of, of Bran McMorn. Cause that's kind of like what Bran McMorn's trying to do is bring the picks back up. Like, you know, he's like some like kind of like atavism of like, Oh, you know, higher evolved state of being and you know that that's kind of what it, you know and and then the wagner brand mcmorn novel that i have um which deals as well with with the children of the earth like underground this that the novel has a lot of similarities with this story and and that's kind of a big thing and that's that novel is is brand mcmorn trying to kind of raise the picks back up to their the previous state you know what i mean yeah yeah. Another thing to mention too is like he refers to uh, Ginger as Persephone, which you know there's a in various uh, you know versions of Greek mythology, uh, Hades, the king of the underworld, um, kidnaps her and brings her down below to rule with him in the underworld. So you know we have like a fallen race of people inhabiting the underworld. We have a uh, you know a stolen princess. Uh, there's this like sort of Lucifer, like Milton kind of like vibe connecting this thing to, you know, with Brandon being like basically a fugitive on the, uh, on the surface, you know, an orphan, uh, you know, cast out and 
seeking to rule in the underworld instead of being a prisoner on the surface you know so a lot of these cool like mythological ideas get wrapped up i think in the final uh, section of this uh, short story i agree yeah that, that's that was one of my favorite part of the story is this last couple of chapters talking about his visions and then and then this whole last chapter of him kind of returning to get to, to take gender yeah you know and even his descriptions when he's having those those uh dreams the dream world where he's talking about you know a, 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 an orb in the sky and like you know all this kind of really cool like prose about this like ancient deep history of that land yeah and there's part of that kind of reminds me of howard as well where somebody gets a knock on the head and they kind of have these like past life uh visions like oh, it's yeah. like something that happens in like several howard stories i think we talked about it one on one last story episode i think we talked about one with sticks i think yeah yeah definitely that yeah that's that's a trope in a lot of howard's uh you know writing as well but yeah this also even even the little people stuff i mean it, it crosses a bunch of different uh of our favorite authors of course we, we mentioned arthur mackin earlier his little people there's like the shiny pyramid the red hand and uh the white people um those are like his little people stories and uh you know, and, Robert uh, Howard has uh, Worms of the Earth, you know, with that is one of our favorites as well. Yeah, or like Novel of the Black Seal is another one, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, by Bainamakan. Yeah, like, and in uh, Shining Pyramid, there is uh, a reference to a woman who goes to the the people, like, I'm, um, you know, willingly, you know what I mean. So that that kind of references something going on in the in the story. Yeah, um, yeah. Once again. Carl Edward Wagner delivering like an incredible original story, but still keeping the uh, traditions alive of uh, all the past authors that have developed, helped develop and make this uh, genre great. Yeah. The thing that, um, the, 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 the thing about this, the only thing about the story that, that I kind of couldn't quite figure out how it all ties in is, is the whole Hitman like yeah. part of it where I'm like, yeah. I kind of get the, I guess they get the idea that he's, you know, how are they going to find out that he's not who he's saying is if there wasn't some type of thing? But you could have, I mean, you know, it didn't quite make sense that, that the Hitman part kind of was like, kind of felt like a little weird, but I was like, okay, whatever, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, the Hitman part felt like definitely forced and unnecessary. And, I, you know, I kind of hinted on that earlier, how I thought that was like a, you know, distracted a little bit, you know, it felt like almost like, like a jokey element to it. Oh, he's a hitman, you know? I mean, the, at the, the real, the reality too, is like, if there was like some sort of like a murder or a death and a disappearance, they would have to investigate it anyway. So they would go to his, you know, his cabin and try and search it and see what, if they could find clues about what might've happened to him. You know what I mean? And then that would have uncovered who, what his actual identity was too, you know? Yeah, yeah. The hitman part of it seemed a little. It, it felt like a, a little, little extra spice to the story that probably didn't really need it. But I mean, it, it's not, it's not, it's not gonna like, um, you know, it doesn't affect my liking of the story that much. But I did try to like. The thing though with with Wagner is that a lot of his stories, there's not a lot of fat, where there's not a lot of stuff that unnecessary. So you feel like he's trying to say something with the hitman part but it's kind of like, I'm not quite getting what it is. You know, I guess like he mentions how, how he sees through like an infra infrared scope, like at one point, right. That's mentioned. 
Yeah. Um, but I just don't quite understand how being such a good shot and all that kind of stuff really relates to uh, to these white to these him being like a half human hybrid thing. You know what I mean? I I could. It feels like I'm not quite getting what he's what he's trying to get at. You know what I mean? Yeah, the Brennan, the connection to the Brennan family really is all you needed to connect him to, you know, being one of these like, you know, a hybrid, you know, human underground person, you know? Yeah. I mean, and, you know, I don't mind him being like strong and stuff, but yeah, that part of it didn't quite make sense. I mean, uh, yeah, it's a little, it's a little weird. I mean, because I, mean, I guess he can be a good shot and, but it doesn't mean he has to be a, a hit man. I mean, it could mean that he's a good shot and he gets it's part of why he gets along with all these hillbilly types, right? But you know, it's yeah. like uh that was the only part of it where I was kinda like, okay, uh, I'm not I feel like it was a piece of this puzzle I'm kinda missing, but <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, totally. So I mean that that's like my only small criticism on this one. Other otherwise than other than that, I think the story is like one of the best ones in the collection at this point. You know, one of my favorites at least. Definitely like when they go down in that cave, that part really made me feel like very uncomfortable. Like I felt kind of like scared when I was reading it, you know, the first time where I was like, started feeling like claustrophobic, like, you know, as I'm like imagining this situation, you know what I mean? Yeah. Underground stuff's pretty, pretty weird. Definitely. That's like uh uncomfortable. I think for most people. Yeah. I'm really not, a, I'm not about it. Like um, I'm not, I wouldn't really want to go into like a bunch of caves or anything like that. I'm not that type of person you know like i just think of the, the descent you know <laughs> that's a great movie by the way the, the second movie not so much first one was awesome though and the first one also has like those yeah those degenerated white like beings you know it's kind of like i mean this kind of idea goes all the way back to i think one of lovecraft's very first stories is the beast in the cave you know yeah yep which is kind of shows a, a whole another idea like that right yeah absolutely yeah so that's it. We only have what two more stories left? Yeah, we have two more in this collection. Oh wow! So we got so maybe uh, damn the last story will be a Halloween. Will be on Halloween maybe like in that that week. Yeah. So that'll be on uh, the last story will be on Everyone Black. Yeah, for Halloween, and uh, oh, wow. and then we'll start up the Kane series in in November, I guess. So that's awesome. <laughs> All right, man. So there you go. There's another one of these uh, classic uh, Carl Edward Wagner uh, masterpieces. You know, once again, I urge all you guys to go out there and pick this up. It's uh, even though Valancourt does not uh, sponsor this podcast, we want to support those guys. They do a great job. I've, at this stage, I've got several of their books and um, they're just bringing it. They're just keeping it real with uh, genre fiction of all types, actually. And uh, one, of, one of my favorite publishers. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and uh, so far in this 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 book, my favorite stories have been uh, in the pines and sticks. In this one, like those are my favorites. Like where the summer ends, is, I liked, and you know some of the other ones. That, I mean, I like I like all the stories, but those three are my favorite so far. I think this is up there with with sticks. Yeah, the 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 one that we we're coming up to next is another one of my favorites. So that that's a good one. Yeah, but, um, where summer ends is a good one. Uh. In the Pines, Sticks. Sticks is probably my favorite in the entire uh, collection. So, yeah. Yeah, the next one is River of Night's Dreaming, which is like the, uh, it's like a classic, you know, like. Yeah, we, we got connections to uh, Robert Chambers. You know, we got a little nod to uh, the King in Yellow in that one. So, yeah, that should be cool. Right. And you and uh, you and um, 
Ralph are about to do that uh, big deep dive into True Detective season one, right? We recorded it yesterday. Yep. Oh, you did it, yeah. So you, oh, yeah. There's definitely some references to to this kind of stuff, Wagner and stuff, oh, yeah. and that, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. There's um, there's a it's a two part episode actually. We have two episodes. One one is going to show up on uh, on Everything Went Black on the regular stream, and the uh, which is just the overview of the first season interjected with some you know anecdotal stuff about what what we think is actually going on you know some of the literary not too much of literary literary stuff but the second episode is more of a deep dive into the philosophy behind the show uh you know we talk about arthur schopenhauer we talk about thomas Ligotti. uh we get what our thoughts are about um you know what's actually going on in with the king in yellow and uh, the idea of a tulpa, the idea of True Detective being part of uh, the King and Yellow mythos, it, actually part of it, you know what I mean? Not just like uh, inspired by. So yeah, we go in, we own some pretty cool stuff in there. Cool, yeah. Like, I mean, it definitely could be in that in the actual King and Yellow mythos. I mean, because King and Yellow. I mean, when you read the King and Yellow stories, so like. Uh, it's kind of nebulous in a way, you know, what's going on, you know, and, yeah. and that, that has, you know, I mean, like the first story, for example, I mean, it's like the characters, like insane, like repair reputations is probably one of the most like crazy stories where you like read that and you're like, I don't even know what this, what the fuck's real or not in this story. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? totally. yeah. <laughs> and, that, and that's what I mean. It's like, you know, that we go, we get into that pretty heavily, but that's kind of like the idea of that, you know, true detective, is actually a, a weird tale, you know, because it's about, I mean, you know, as you know, weird fiction, it's not necessarily about monsters or, you know, or, you know, things like that, or, you know, serial killers or anything. It's like more about being out of control or there being like some sort of lack of control or, or something that's intangible pushing you forward. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So that, that's, that's kind of what we touch in touch on in that episode. So yeah, I'm look, that, I'm looking forward to, to getting it out there and you know having everyone check it out. Yeah, it's like uh, the guy's idea of the uh, the darkness to shadow, like we talked about before, and yeah, on our uh, episode we did on on Solnox. Oh, totally. Yep. All right, man. So thanks a lot, and uh, yeah. Then thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks. All right, guys. Take care. Pigs must die This ain't August 69 Old pigs must die Seven by seven seek house at night Their trotters are in the mud They're better off with the Son of God They had no idea Not even close, not even Old pigs must die
is August 99. Poor pigs must die. The stolen riches are really mine. Cover their faces in blood. They're better off at the sun of God. Poor pigs must die. This is August 99. Poor pigs must die. The Lord of the Claw Die. Seven, I seven, six,